0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Relative Pitch. We are super excited to have with us today flutist and educator Adam Sadbury. Adam, welcome. Hi. It's so good to see you.
1: Thank you. It's so good to be here with you all. I'm so excited to have this conversation.
0: Yes. I mean, for y'all know, for me, anytime I see amazing black flutists out in the field, I'm gravitated towards it. It's motivational for me. It's encouraging. It's inspiring. And Adam is so much more just than a flutist. And we'll get to that later. But that's how I first encountered um, them. in my career was because of my flute playing and then we ran into each other uh, this past year at league of american orchestra conference and i'm sure we'll dig into that later but adam for some of our um audience who may not know the work that you've done can you let us know a little bit about yourself
1: sure so i as you said i am a flutist and educator and for me that means that i am uh, largely orchestrally based. That's how I began my career. And these days that means that I am branching from, uh, the tools that I learned in that area and getting into more of a solo career. I've been working with concert artists guild under their management for the past two years, and I've been playing concerts. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, for the, yeah, the past two years around the country and internationally a little bit, and been playing, um, A little bit of standard rap, but a lot of music by Black composers, which uh, are becoming standardized these days, thank God. And uh, a lot of my work is also around honoring my late grandfather, L. Alex Wilson's legacy. He was a journalist during the civil rights movement and covered the lynching of Emmett Till, Montgomery Bus Boycott, Little Rock Nine. So I've been really fired up and encouraged to pursue relevance in my career um and not running from the things that mattered to me like like he said uh, he at little rock nine he was with a team of journalists who were confronted by a mob of a thousand white people and his response was to just just stick with it no matter what violence was was uh was put against him and Um, that's where I am now with building my own career, trying to trailblaze something that I still am figuring out as I go along. Um, I'm so on the educational side of things, I'm making workshops, I'm making presentations that I'm sharing through college residencies. And as a whole, I'm working on creating a career that prioritizes humanity and honoring that in whatever spaces that I'm in.
2: Mm hmm. Your, um, I watched um, the video about your grandfather's life on your website um, a couple of days ago, and it and it just really resonated with me of of hearing that story and. Um, as you said, unsung heroes of the civil rights movement, of how there's so many um, stories that just kind of get untold that we stand on, on the shoulders of, of especially our ancestors. And I'm just so happy that you have the story. This is like your family story and you are telling it in your own way, Your that own story. I love how um, you uh, premiered a piece, Not Running, which is based on this entire story. I, like. I love this whole fact and one thing that that you said is great change only comes with great action and sacrifice um that was the line straight from from the video and I just thought about what you're doing musically you know and this how you are making the change the necessary change for composers BIPOC composers to be um now standardized and, and things like that like Talk about your change in music, how you're taking your grandfather's strength and courage into your own, uh, really, advocacy um, as a flautist and educator.
1: Oh, thank you so much for, for that acknowledgement, by the way. That means so much to hear. Um, so the the first big step that I made to make these changes to courageously you know, come into myself, my truest version, was to leave my orchestra job. I was principal flutist with the Memphis Symphony for three years, from 2019 through 2022, and I could have stayed in that job basically forever. You know, um, it was a job that I was honestly essentially handed. You know, I, I played as guest principal for a couple of weeks and something in the universe, uh, you know, said that I needed that job. So I could both, you know, have that opportunity to grow musically, but also connect to my grandfather because Memphis was the place where he was based when all of the events were happening. So, you know, I was living my best musical life for a while uh, until I realized that I was living the life that other people kind of expected me to have. Mm. I, you know, had received a lot of encouragement to go all the way in with an orchestral career from all of my teachers, my friends, because things were going well, which I'm grateful for, but it wasn't fulfilling and relevant in the sense that I was still a part of an ensemble, part of an organization that doesn't prioritize anything aside from, in these days, um, surviving and and catering to the audiences that it's familiar with, and when they when orchestras do reach out, uh, really that that outreach side of things, um, there's sometimes genuineness, sometimes sincerity, but it's usually to cross off the DEI box within their obligations. So I'm doing everything I can to honor my place in this world by being the most the most outwardly reaching and aware person that I can be. So, you know, I'm I'm actively working on my sense of humanity, my sense of spirituality. You know, I started practicing Buddhism back in December. So I'm I'm taking this as far as I can on a lot of levels. and. Um, you know, I'm leaving comfort and security behind to do whatever, you know, like, I don't know where my next paychecks are coming from these days. I'm applying for random part-time jobs. I just applied for a job as a game show host in the area. So uh, literally whatever, you know, happens, happens. (laughs) Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really leaning into not running from my, my potential future by letting go of my sense of, security and developing developing that as i go along
0: Mm -hmm. i i absolutely love and there's so many branches my brain went when you were talking about just now but i want to really go back and focus on this um idea of like you that you had a lot of people encouraging you to continue in the orchestral track you had a lot of people saying you really need to do this and pushing you and we know i mean me and anthony currently are students Michael was a student up until this past year, and we've been there. We've been there in that in that space where everyone's telling us what we should do, and we also have a lot of audience members who who are students and who are probably in those positions right now. What I mean, what what t- what did what did it take for you to listen to yourself over the advice of your mentors, even people who really want the best for you, and they think I'm telling you what's the best for you. How do you know? how do you know what's best for you? You know, how do you go from having a principal position in an orchestra, which is like what everyone wants, right? In our field to saying, no, I don't want this. Like how, what was the process of that?
1: I had to learn how to listen to my heart in all honesty instead of what my concept of heartfulness was. I had to dig deep enough to realize that If I wanted to be happy for myself instead of for other people by placing them on stage, I had to uncover what it meant for me to be a, you know, a black queer person in 2020, at the time, 2022, and realize that I was going to have more autonomy and self-validation by doing something that more directly connected to that. So, you know, I, I really had to turn over what all of my my friends and supporters had been telling me in the past, saying, you know, you're great at this. Why don't you keep going? Why don't you become the next? I don't know, like Pauud or Jeannie Backstresser or or all of these famous fool players. And um, mm-hmm. while that that was I was on my way to doing that, uh, I realized that I needed to decide to do something that was going to make not just me proud in the future, but all of the people that I care about the most and that I feel have been um, largely, you know, unsung like my grandfather or or underappreciated. So um, it was really a decision to contribute to the world in the most meaningful way that I could instead of contributing in a way that made sense based on my trajectory.
2: hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you made that big decision, did you ever think about um, all those people of like, wow, maybe I'm letting someone down? Did you ever have because we often oh, think yeah. about, you know, so many people have tried to get me here and, and I'm finally living my best life as principal flautis, you know. And then <laughs> now I'm like, I'm, I'm not happy. So I need to move on. But still, these people have sacrificed things for me to be here. Did, did that ever go in your head before you made that decision?
1: Definitely. I mean, there are so many people who gave me not just these amazing resources, but those resources for free because I didn't come from a family with much wealth. Well, really, almost none, <laughs> you know, um, so free lessons, free summer programs through lots of scholarships and need based things. Um That made me feel obligated to continue passing the baton. But the longer I reflected, the more that I realized that I would be honoring not just myself, but them by using the skills they taught me to make something more.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know,
1: I... I am. I like I said. I will always be grateful for those teachers, but you know they taught me so much more than playing the flute. They taught me how to be a person who honors my sense of autonomy with an expression in music, and that directly carries into the way that I walk throughout you know my life in whatever way I'm I'm doing that.
3: Oh yes, that. Sorry, it was taking me a minute. The reason there there was a little silence, I'm trying to think. Like you just said a lot. I'm receiving all of it. And one thing I want to just piggyback off of is like we talk about how we like you said, your uh, mentors, your teachers were like, you're doing so great. You should keep doing this. You should keep doing this. And the direct translation I've just was thinking of is high school arts to college arts. Because if people make all state or people do all this region stuff and their band director or their uh, choral teacher or whatever is like, oh, my God, you should go major in this. And then you're in high school, and you're like, "Oh, the only thing I have fun in is this band stuff or this singing stuff." So why don't I major in it? And then they go, they get burnt out because it was a hobby, and now it's a career, and now you've completely changed someone's like landscape of life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they went all in for it, and sometimes we don't prepare them to do that. We don't give them like, "Hey, maybe when they come for a perspective lesson or in their audition." Why do you want to do this? What is what what do you see yourself doing within this? Why is this your calling? And the same thing I feel like you are a like concert artist guild is like incredible. Like that's like one of the biggest things that we can do as like a solo or chamber artist. And then you have all this stuff and but it also seems like people that start in their undergrad and kind of figure out their way maybe to masters, they still need more time they go straight to doctorate. It's like what is your sense of What do they want to do? Did anybody ever stop them and ask them what they wanted to do? So like you stopped yourself in a position like you could have lived your whole career there. And that's just amazing to me how you went. Whoa. Let me think about this and let me make sure I'm doing in my life what I want to do and what I truly would love to live. And I think that's something we should talk to younger people about more. And encourage, like, I think Anthony and I were driving somewhere yesterday, and we were like, maybe we should encourage, like, sometimes gap years between high school and college to make sure people understand who they are before they enter, like, this whole realm of stuff, or gap years in general, or taking time away from college to figure themselves out. Because people go through a lot of health stuff and mental health stuff, and it affects what they learn and how they learn. And instead, maybe, like, hey, take some time for yourself. Figure out what's going on here and then come back in a place of center to learn your craft, whether that be like nursing, music, uh, psychology, like anything. So Mm -hmm. sorry that was a dump, but you just made me think about all that stuff.
1: No, it was was a great job. Thank you. No, uh, really. uh, I also have to be careful how I say that, I guess. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I mean, I think the concept of taking a gap year is something that we need to talk about in general more like like you're saying, because it's often discouraged as as something that is a red flag almost on resumes, which is beyond me, especially these days, because taking a gap year, in my opinion, is a sign of self-awareness that you need to make a change in your life and that it's time to make some growth that will make what comes afterwards more valuable and authentic and true. And self-awareness is everything, especially these days as we're all coming, you know, out of a version of the pandemic that we've been familiar with and are seeing how much more resilience we need in order to thrive in a world that's changing so fast that we can barely keep up with it with AI. That seems to be, you know, amplifying that even more so. And, you know with within my own concept of self awareness i i decided to make the change when i did because i didn't want to wait for any more signs to make something happen you know i had already realized i'm not that happy doing this all the time mm-hmm. i'm not always that happy sitting in an ensemble with people who have been you know, potentially jaded by this for, you know, decades who, you know, who have loved this and still do love it, but aren't always as fired up about it as I was at the time. Um, mm. Whenever we're all looking at what we're doing in our lives, I I'd say the most important thing to to do is just to consider. Is this a representation of my truest, my truest idea of joy in life, and if it's not, then to consider what I can do differently or better.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah. I. I mean, this is. I'm going back a little bit to what Michael was mentioning as well, especially about the formative years, because we're seeing so much that sometimes it's, it comes a little bit too late when we get the right advice. Right. It's like we're like, where was this advice three, four years before <laughs> I'm here with a degree now? A whole <laughs> degree. Um, like a whole degree. <laughs> And I love this idea of like, because I had no idea that there was such a thing as a community relations manager for us, because what is that? And like, that's for those of you who don't like have me on socials add me on socials um but also i had just announced that i i just got a new position with the seattle symphony as community relations manager and first of all this is exactly the position i wanted. it deals directly with the community and actually for me it shows what the role of a symphony orchestra and arts institutions in general should be within their community it's about connectivity it's about accessibility and communication. And I would have never I didn't know that existed. When I went through high school, I was like, I can either teach or I can either play the flute, most likely in a in a band, a military band or a symphony orchestra. That was it. I had no idea that there was you could be a professional chamber ensemble musician, or that you could go out and you know what I mean, and like and work at a symphony. And I, I didn't know what arts administration was. I didn't know what a nonprofit was. I had no idea. And the longer I've been in you know higher ed and like going just like living life, getting you know different fellowships, internships, and just learning more, it's expanded what really a career in the arts could actually mean and what how it could be so fulfilling because it really can be a mix all and i think all of us are very beautiful examples of what a very like like distinct and widely perspective career in the arts could look like there's We've done presentations. Adam, like you literally were in that um, panel at the League of American Orchestra talking about the racial demographics. Like there's so much you can do and we just don't prepare our students enough to know that, hey, if you want to play bassoon for four years to give you a launch pad into you know public policy within the arts, that's fabulous. You should go become a lawyer and you should work with artists and artist management companies for copywriting. There's so many different avenues. You can go do like physical therapy and work with musicians and do you know Alexander technique. There's just so much out there, and we we've limited it to like these two the performance teaching. And I wonder what would happen if even from an early, cause sometimes they say you're overloading, you know, they're like, oh, you don't wanna like overload the kids in high school. I'm like, they're smart. Children are very smart there. And there are ways to do things where it's not overwhelming for them. But I've had many of these conversations with different young groups who've come into the Seattle Symphony and they're like, I had no idea. That you had like you know lawyers who worked for you or like you know people what a board member is and you know how to be a donor for a symphony and um, I'm always a huge advocate for the more information we could the more we can empower young students from a very early age to know that they have more agency with what they want to do in their life than we give them whenever we just say I guess pick between performance and education (laughs) have fun. (laughs)
3: not have
1: fun (laughs) yeah i i love this as well i mean there is such an enormous world out here for opportunity and change and i think half the problem is that whenever people get in the mindset of becoming a performer or a teacher they get pigeonholed within a very small concept of what that is you know uh Whenever I was practicing, getting ready for the Memphis Symphony job and the the fellowship with the Detroit Symphony I had beforehand, I was playing the flute for like five to seven hours a day. That was my entire life. Ooh. And if somebody had told me that I could accomplish what I did with like maybe two to three hours and I could also like be a person <laughs> and read books and spend time being a part of community and building these other concepts, I would be... A, an even different person than i am at this point so ensuring that young people have more resources and an understanding that the doors are wide open is everything truly um so i thank you for bringing that up
2: i think what we've been talking about um so far have putting the person before the musician um i think under uh but we are kind of taught um, growing up through, you know, high school, undergraduate, masters, wherever, that you should always put your musicianship first, or, or being a musician, the idea of being a musician first. So your only goal is to win that orchestra job or to land this title here. But it's never like, well, what about the person? What about me? Do I need to be a whole person? Do I need to be half of a person to get these jobs? And uh, I think. We've been taught we need to be a whole musician, but our personal life can can truly lack. It can be very non-existent. If you really want this job, I don't know how many times I've heard musicians tell me, oh yeah, I have never been married, I never had kids, I wanted those things, but I had to put my career first. And it's like, in what other career um, in the world do we say, let me not be a full person? for me to advance in my career. Like I think that is truly an unhealthy expectation um, that is put on us at a very young age. Um and I and I'm just so thankful that I think our generation moving forward is like oh hold on let's let's put a pause on that real quick, you know, let I'm gonna be a person. I'm gonna read my books. I'm gonna go out and have a good time. Nightlife, I'm gonna have a couple libations, a couple cocktails. <laughs> and, you know, I'm gonna live my best life, but I'm gonna still be this wonderful musician as well. Two things can be right at the same time. Um, so I'm just glad that you are like living that life right now where you're like, I'm I'm me. I am who I am, but I'm also a phenomenal musician at the same time. So I really enjoy that you're you're a walking testimony of that.
1: Thank you. Mm -hmm. I mean, the greatest artists, I would say, are always the ones who are making their art a representation of their lives. Mm -hmm. Right. So the more life we live, the more we can increase our artistry and our sense of connection. So it's a win-win situation that most People are not taught about, of course, in their music education programs, especially in conservatories. Right. You know, it's, uh, conservatory could not be a, a better definition of what it is. It is a very conservative education,
2: yes. uh,
1: extremely. And there's there's very little that one can gain in life aside from music if they don't learn to stretch outside of those bars. You know, and it's really hard to have the courage to learn how to do those things when your sense of comfort and self and wholeness is just within, you know, those degrees you got within those places. But, um, you know, as a whole, it's it's essential that we all spread our wings as as far as we feel like we are able, because when we can when we can start flying and we get on the wind and we have an opportunity to soar and see what's around us, like we'll naturally gravitate towards the things that are really calling us mm. um it's just stepping back zooming out and asking like what what can i do aside from what i think i'm supposed to do
2: mm. so you brung it up and and i and i just want to know um about your experience in a conservatory um you went to uh eastman which is one of the oldest and one of the most prominent conservatories in America and probably in the world. How was your experience as a black flautist in, in that in that arena?
1: You know, um in all honesty, I had a, a a very good experience at Eastman as a black person because my identity was so Enveloped with music, my blackness was my expression and my my sense of of freedom within it. That more people were coming to me to ask for for advice and questions. Not not just um not just the people who were around me and looked like me, but but everyone because I was figuring it out and I was maximizing my identity in that situation, even though I was um, a minority because. I believed in myself and my mission and my drive more than anything else, which is something I was very fortunate to figure yeah. out early on. So it's so easy to um, to to get microaggressed and then to take that home, which I still do. You know, yeah. it's it's something that is almost inescapable whenever, you know, your sense of self is is very physical, you know, as a black person or a BIPOC or, or any really any person and I took advantage of my situation being someone who already stuck out to stick out as much as possible in the way that I wanted to. Mm -hmm. And I just made the most of it.
0: Yeah, I love that idea um, of you're like, well, I already know I stick out. So why not go for it? You know, at this point, right? Like, what's the harm in that? And I think that actually is a little bit of the opposite. I feel like of what, especially young musicians of color, like feel like they need to do. They feel like they need to conform even more to what everyone else is doing so that they stand out less. But I've, especially if you're trying to be genuine, you want to really honor like yourself, your identity, the identity of your, your family, the communities you belong to, doesn't that mean maybe sometimes you do have to stand out? a bit and it can be very terrifying it can be very scary and even like that not even just on the student side but if you're an educator and you're the only person on your staff who looks like you and you're the only one advocating for things that you think are very important it's this idea of like what what do i really value like it do i just want to be comfortable right i mean obviously right we like we like to be comfortable that's not some there's nothing wrong with that But if there's another part of you that's like, I want to do something more than that, I want to expand beyond um, what comfort is to me to maybe even be more comfortable here (laughs) instead of here. And Mm -hmm. I think that's something I'm learning still about like, I think, because when I feel more genuine is when i get the most feedback of like i really connected with you because of this or i really felt inspired because you said this and i'm like oh my gosh i've never like said that to like a group of students (laughs) and now here a bunch of them are coming up to me saying i really love that and so i feel like anytime more and more it's affirming me and i hope that for other people as well if you have those experiences and people are coming up to you saying hey i really i really enjoyed that or i I felt comforted by that or i felt seen by that it encourages you to stick out more you know and just see what happens you never know you Mm -hmm.
1: know yeah i mean and i will say that i grew up in a predominantly white environment to begin with like i was an only child in a like i said a very predominantly white environment where i already what felt ostracized just by existing there so um, if it weren't for honestly this this one weekend retreat I took where I was given the concept of masking and what it means to have a mask that you wear in order to feel comfortable in a situation and what it means to take that off and to reveal your truer self and a, a version of yourself that's you know uninhibited by the world that's around you that <laughs> That you can begin to not just participate but receive everything that's going on around you with a little bit more light and 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 gentleness. So, you know, I I had already gotten training for it. I guess by the time I got to Eastman, is what I'm trying to say. But that that is something that is essential for thriving in a world where. Increasingly, we're all encountering new challenges and are being forced to think faster on our feet and to move and go
3: with the flow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to piggyback on all y'all's um, like uh, you, like being authentically yourself, being genuine. Um, I do think going through some education in public universities and conservatories, I believe like our training nowadays is told you have to act this certain way if you want to get this job. You got to carry yourself this certain way. When you go into your student teaching, arrive before the band director, stay later than him or go right with him. Like All these are good things in some aspects in like little bits. It's like an apple a day will keep the doctor away. That doesn't mean go eat 30 apples every day. You know what I mean? Like if you're student teaching, you're still a student. You don't have to work a whole day when you're not getting paid. I'm sorry. Like, yes, get the information you need. You're learning, but it ain't that ain't your job at the end of the day. You don't have to dress a certain way to get like further ahead professionally. You don't have to wear a suit every day. You don't have to like talk a certain way. I feel like if we eliminated this line of like stuff within the education, I feel like people will be more open and being. Better going into the professional force instead of getting into being a brand director or a professional musician. Be like, I don't like this because I don't feel myself. Mm-hmm. Feel yourself, know yourself, then enter the profession. Be who you are within the profession. So. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. The concept of workaholism
1: comes to mind so fast when you're saying all of this, you know, because workaholism is something that comes up when we find that our identity is more related to our work than anything outside of that.
2: As we were talking about, and I know that Lauren was the the fortunate member who was in the panel session um, at the League of American Orchestra conference. Um, but as I was reading about how the panel was addressing institutional traumas in orchestras, and I know we've talked about some of those traumas on this podcast here, but um, if you could give the people that weren't fortunate to be in um, in the room, if you could just tell us a little bit about you know what was said, what what were some of the things that were brought up in that session.
1: Sure. So. My goal going into that session was to say everything that I wish I knew about orchestra before I got into it and to make sure that everyone there understood what they were a part of. So mm-hmm. institutional trauma in orchestra. I'll, I'll just pull up a list uh, mm-hmm. that that I came up with for the presentation. So um, mm-hmm. signs of institutional trauma in orchestras. Um, orchestra still rap, like, excuse me, uh, orchestra still rap, uh, lack representation of black Latin A and indigenous people. Diversity naturally comes along when people are healthy, when environments are healthy and cultures are encouraging people to be themselves. There's a significant proportion of orchestral musicians that deal with mental health concerns like anxiety and depression at higher rates than professionals in many other fields. We are taught to prioritize the music over our humanity,
2: mm-hmm.
1: basically. Many orchestral musicians become less happy with their jobs throughout their careers. I've asked so many people who play in orchestras, you know, how long do you think you can keep doing this? And most of them, you know, kind of look around kind of shadily and saying, oh. <laughs> as long as they get paid <laughs> is the is the usual answer. Um, the, the point of the conversation, aside from opening up the door for people to see where everything was coming from, was to ask themselves, like, am I participating in an environment that is conducive for myself, you know, at the end of the day. There's so many people get into orchestra thinking about the music only, but forget that there is so much purity injunction that they lose whenever they give themselves away to the industry. So I just wanted to make it clear that there is a lot of recovery that we have to do before we can truly enjoy this art form that all of us have poured into this like we we can enjoy it as it is, but there are so many more layers that can be developed when we take the time to consider what's actually happening here
0: yeah and I um I want to say for audience members if I can't remember if we've ever talked about what the League of American Orchestras actually is, but it's this governing body of the symphony orchestras um, in the United States who want to participate and basically the league has so much resources and like research that they put out to see what's going on in the field. And every now and then they do like a racial demographic report that kind of shows what's been going on within the field. And to everyone's, well, I, let me take that back. To some people's surprise, we are we, they were shocked that there's still such a lack of representation of people of color within the orchestral field, especially because during the pandemic and everything else happening in 2020, there seemed to be this huge boom and what was going on with DEI efforts? You cannot get away from DEI. It was everywhere. You could see it everywhere. And so I think there's been some, <laughs> some confusion as to where all that energy, where has it been going? Because if it, I think what one of the big things that the report showed was that for Black and uh, Latinx uh, people we were still represented under the population of the actual US population. And we're actually growing at a slower rate within the field than the US population is growing, meaning that we are underrepresented. It is still a point where people of color is specifically Black, Latin people are underrepresented. And so the the conference or the lecture that I was at was at the Leagues Conference and Adam was on a panel right after they just spoke about these reports. Um, and Adam, do you remember there, there was actually a little bit of, um, a little bit of tension in the room when those reports kind of came out, which was really interesting to me, but I mean, what did you, what was your experience right before the panel, whenever those reports were like kind of being talked about?
1: Oh, that was honestly one of my favorite parts, (laughs) you know, um, it was, it was genuinely, a little bit bewildering because these are arts leaders who have been in this, you know, presumably as long as anybody else. And um, many people were listening to the report and getting kind of confused by the data and asking questions that had already been addressed within the report. So it was a clear indication that people are not paying as much attention as they feel they might be. And there's, of course, still so much more to do. Um, There was one person in particular who was saying that You know, orchestras are way far behind growth um, than any other industry, any other type of organization. And what are we going to do about that? And the response to that was something along the lines of, um, "I actually, I don't remember the exact wording, but it was, we're going to just keep doing what we know how to, Mm. you know? Which has not (laughs) been very effective so far, of course. Um, Yeah, there is a lot of there's still a lot of people who are getting their heads out of the ground and are realizing that it's time to do something. And I don't know what type of motivation people need to do that at this point, because they've had more reasons than ever before to make these changes.
0: And more support too, right? More like in general, just support of, yeah, it's great. And uh, yeah, but I mean, it was great to hear after having the report and the data, you know, talking through the data, it was great to hear from the actual perspective. Cause I think it's a healthy balance when you're trying to uh, educate. I think it's nice to have the facts, but then also with the, I mean, seeing the evidence of like what has been the experience of musicians of color who have been in the field. And I think it's a big point that you made as well was the fact that it's not, it's also not just enough to have them in there, but to keep them. What's mm-hmm. keeping them in those positions? And that's a huge thing that we're seeing and People are just leaving their positions like, yeah, I don't really want to do this <laughs> anymore. <Yep. laughs> so like, can you speak to what you spoke about then? Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, whenever people have been hurt so many times, they're going to decide when they don't want to be hurt anymore like I did, you know, I there is so much to be said for a culture that promotes humanity at the basis. You know, those are the places where people are laughing the most. That's where they're often making the most money. that's where they're making the most causes for good, good things in the world. And my experience in the Memphis Symphony was representative of the fact that it does not matter if I was fulfilling one dream of mine if it was detrimental to many other aspects of who I believe that I am. And yeah, we're seeing so many people leave orchestras and be proud and confident in that because they realize that so many more doors are going to fling themselves open for them. Whereas orchestras have maybe had a doorstop in there to like, let people like squeeze in them if they are willing to work hard enough and it's not right to expect for people to do that. I mean, we, we have as much right to joy and and autonomy and security as anybody else. So we are going to go where that's happening. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so funny because when y'all were both just saying when the data was released, so many people are just like, how could this be? Like so baffled (laughs) by this, like, are your eyes not open at all? Like, are you just not looking? But that also is a uh, testament to um, when COVID was a thing and and all the social unjust uh, was going on and all of these organizations released the statements about diversity and they're going to make things better. Okay, it's been three years since that statement and you still think, you think things have gotten better in three years. You probably, I'm pretty sure those people thought, exponentially we Mm -hmm. have more black people in our orchestras where you have more latinx people in our orchestras and it's like maybe the margin moved a couple cents to the right like yay we're doing something correct but it's not what you thought it was going to be and i'm it's very unfortunate because the people that were at that conference are the people that make the rules for Mm -hmm. orchestras and and things like that and if they are not um attuned to what's really going on who is and who's really going to make the changes um and that that part is the the worrisome thing to me because it's like you are the ones that have power you are the ones that need to be actually looking at this matter and not just uh kind of doing lip service for that
1: so much of that and the thing that bewildered me the most with the panel was the fact that the people who invited me on i could see were clearly very uncomfortable with the things that i was talking about Mm -hmm. you know they didn't realize that i was going to maybe actually speak my truth maybe they were looking for something else originally but did they did they not want want what i had to offer
0: (laughs) why did you call me here like (laughs) oh yeah. yeah,
3: I I when you said uh, people were starting to ask questions about the data, which I don't know who said it, that is how you know they were looking like booboo to Fool. It's like when you tell somebody something, you like, are you are you sure? They go on Google, like, are you sure? Like, is this correct? That's how you know they don't want to accept the real data. They mm-hmm. want to accept what's in their mind. Yep. It's mm-hmm. like, and that's why, like, I think we said this the first season roads of pitch now we're on four look at us woo-woo um I said I will look at the Dei stuff in 2025 2026 are they still continuing are they doing the good work are they doing it selflessly mm-hmm. and then that is when like I think a true decision can be made about these initiatives that just popped up because people were like oh we need to get out of trouble mm-hmm. And so like, and then there's other ones that have been going on for so long. You're like, okay, that's the real deal. Like they're, they're, this is what they want to do. But like, I love that. When you ask questions about data, that means you really don't want to accept it.
0: Well, what's funny about it is actually there was a mixture of like that, which was people being like, what do you mean that this is happening? But it was also some people going, yeah. And then what? So now what, like, what are we going to do about it? You know, which I was more... I'm taking notes in the corner over here, like, mm, uh-huh, yep, mm. I am just, like, trying to gather what people are actually interested in. And there was actually... Adam, do you remember? There was actually a lot of youth orchestra representation in the room who was saying... Who was, who was advocating on behalf of youth orchestras. And they were like, what are you doing to, like, foster this? What are you doing to help this in the young arenas? Because it's so often... These fellowships and great, really wonderful opportunities happen for post high school like collegiate and beyond. And it's like, but do you realize that all of these musicians get there from somewhere, right? And a lot of young musicians did youth orchestras, they were in band. so what are we doing to really have those conversations? And I think that is what There was some tension because there were so many youth orchestra, like uh, people there who were saying, you're not listening to us. We're trying to get a word in.
1: (laughs) Literally. Yes, the pipeline, the pipeline. They they were saying that there is an enormous opportunity that they are cultivating so beautifully. You know, they are I think the organizations that are taking DEI the most seriously because they realize that the, the future is in the hands of the youth. And as we are seeing now, I mean, especially if we're looking at Gen Z versus any other organ, you know, generation, we are moving the world. Mm -hmm. And if the older generations don't build a pipeline for us, like we are going to install it ourselves, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, whatever way we have to. So it is it's really encouraging that we did see that much youth orchestra representation. There were, I think, two people on the panel who were involved with that, and both of them were were brilliant and sharing so much wisdom in that regard, and you know, let's let's hope that they um are getting as much support as they deserve.
0: Yes
2: one one thing um that we're talking about um it seems like these orchestral people that that are in the higher ups are kind of still afraid uh, of hitting the issue on its head uh, of the kind of systemic racism that that is prolonged the entire history of an orchestra. Um, And which brings me to a point that actually you said into your um, grandfather's story of running from adversity and discomfort will get society nowhere. Mm. And to me, it seems as though they're still trying to run away from the actual issue at hand. And until we actually talk about the issue, there will be no progress. And, Mm. And that's very unfortunate for orchestras because there are many musicians many musicians of colors who want to be in these orchestras who desire to be there but there isn't a space that these people have given them just yet so I think I like you just said generation Z if you're not gonna make the space for me I'm gonna make it for myself that that's just what I'm going to do and I and I love what I am seeing right now
1: here you. Yeah, I mean, anytime we see these gigantic pushes for change, we will always see gigantic pushes to keep things exactly the same. And I don't know personally what it's going to take to make that that transition to getting everybody to get on the same page. But what I can say is that some people are prioritizing the humanity behind the work and some people are prioritizing their sense of security within it so as soon as people can decide what's most important you know where they are or where they want to be where we all need to be um that's when we will probably start to see something happen yeah agreed
0: and i mean it's there's so much that has happened so much that will continue to happen and hopefully there are people entering these spaces who are ready to have these hard conversations because None of this is easy. And like, I mean, I'm, I'm thankful for, um, especially the administrators of color and who are in these rooms and you are fighting. And sometimes you feel alone when you're fighting these fights and trying to advocate for others who are not there in the room with you. Um, thank you because you know we understand that this this can't happen without people from the inside just as well on the outside pushing 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 trying to expand and that's why you know i always i'm like arts administration people really sleep on how how much that affects what you see on stage what people do where you don't even know that this position exists is the reason why you're seeing the programming that you see, why you see the conductors on stage that you see, that you see the the musicians on stage that you see, it is important, it's very important and we should not, we shouldn't just turn our eye away from, oh, they're doing their job, let's look into it um, take the time, you know, it's, it's hard work but I think a lot of us are real willing to put in the time put in the effort and that is something I admire about our generation is getting to collaborate and work with people who are like, no, I want to put in the work Like, I want to be able to say that I advocated for something that had long lasting change. I'm about it. Mm -hmm. I'm about it. I think that us as Relative Pitch and many, if not all of our guests we've had on believe in that, believe in that effort of the things we say, our perspectives, sharing our perspectives, the work that we do, it all matters. It'll all lead up to something for the greater good. So. If that's some Sunday wisdom, Sunday advice that we could leave with everyone, keep pushing. Like keep where it's hard. It is sometimes it's very uncomfortable. It will not be um, it may leave you feeling confused sometimes, absolutely, but you have to stand strong in who you are, what your values are, what you truly believe in. And as Adam has been saying, let that guide you, let that lead you. So, um, Adam, how can, I mean, you're doing so much great things. How can we continue and keep up with you? Do you have socials, your website? What are you doing next? What's upcoming?
1: Right. Um, so I'll start with where you can find me. I'm on Instagram as Adam Happyberry. My last name is Sadberry. And I, whenever I have to tell people how to spell that, I say just picture Strawberry having a bad day. Um, that's me, I guess. But yeah, Adam Happyberry on Instagram. Uh, I have a website, adamsadberry.com. Uh, my next few things are that I'll be up at Eastman doing a residency at uh, the beginning of October, which I'm very excited about. I'll be returning as uh, an alum doing a chamber music recital and doing some presentations, sharing some of the things with them that we've talked about today. I'm doing a concert in Baltimore uh, through community concerts at 2nd in the middle of October. I believe that concert's like October 13th or something. Double check my website. It's there and the most immediate thing that i'll be doing just for fun for me just because it's not a public event for everyone is i'll be playing uh in a gala concert for concert artists guild and helping them fundraise and continue a lot of the amazing work that they've been doing because y'all since i've been with them they have bumped they bumped their equity game way up so they are listening they're hearing the changes so as as you are saying lauren the more that we speak our minds and share what needs to be said, the more that people are forced to listen. And sometimes when they're good listeners, we will get exactly the results we're, we're looking for. So um, we will carry on. Amen. Oh,
0: I love that. Well, this has been fabulous. I'm, I'm so excited that we got to share um, this, this moment with you. Thank you for being here. Um, you are now and will always be a part of the Relative Pitch family, Adam. So oh. thank you for being with us.
1: Uh, y'all are a tree. This has been so fun. Uh, my, my mind is going to be sitting on all of this for so long now. I mean, this this is really stimulating. So thank you so much for inviting me and, and allowing this uh, gestation of information to come through. This is awesome.
0: Absolutely. Awesome. Well, to our yeah. audience, we really hope you enjoyed uh, this episode today and you have a lot of things that you can also sit on and reflect on within your own life. And until then, we'll see you next week. Bye.